it seems to me that that is the tragedy of it, that the more one's read over the weekend about the report and about the chances of people surviving, if you just ignore what you're told and leave, you are so much safer. And I, I, I think if either of us were in a fire, whatever the fire brigade said, we would leave a burning building. Welcome to London Calling with me, James Dellingpole, and my very good friend, Mr. Toby Young. Toby, your life is incredibly glamorous these days, I understand. Am I right in thinking you've just been racing Porsches round the Silverstone race circuit? Well, an old friend of mine, um, uh, his wife uh, recently bought a Porsche. And as a consequence, she now gets regularly invited to something called the Porsche Experience at Silverstone, our most famous racetrack. And um, so she couldn't go, but uh, her husband uh, was given leave to uh, take me along in her stead. So the two of us had a, a really fun day out. Um, can I just uh, guess? Tooling around that, in Porsches at Silverstone. Can I guess that the husband, your mate, isn't a journalist? He's not a journalist, no, no, he's not. Funny enough, no, he's in he's in insurance. Is he? <laughs> but uh, but his his wife, uh, I think, earns more money than him. She's a very successful uh, saleswoman in um, uh, the computer business. All right, okay. It's, um, it's always lovely being reminded about the alternative lifestyle we might have enjoyed had we had we chosen. I know. It was the funny thing was James that that, that uh, clearly the whole thing is designed to kind of show off the latest Porsche models uh, in the hope that you'll buy one. And uh, the first, and, and it, it, it's it's staffed almost entirely by retired racing drivers. So you know, real men. And uh, and every time one sat down in the car beside me to kind of make sure I didn't put it round a lamppost um the first question would can i do you mind if i ask what you drive sir <laughs> clearly intended to find out whether you're a potential porsche customer and i would have to say yes i drive a vw Turan." and they would try and keep a poker face but you could just tell inside their heart was failing you know they think oh i'm, I'm actually sitting next to a complete cuck um, and, and, and so also they have a good judge of character <laughs> I'm not sure you should judge a man by the car he drives, James. And anyway, my my uh, sky blue VW Turan diesel is a perfectly serviceable vehicle. Um, any road. So today was um, the launch of uh, several election campaigns. I don't know if you noticed any of this, James. The, no, the of official launch Toby. of the Conservative election campaign, the launch of the Green campaign. Uh, Boris launched his campaign on the front page of the Daily Telegraph uh, uh, by comparing Corbyn to Stalin. And this was frowned upon for two reasons. First of all, uh, uh, it was frowned upon uh, because it seemed to be favouring the Telegraph, which incidentally has in the past paid him large sums of money to write a weekly column. Um, uh, but in addition, uh, people frowned upon his comparison of, of, of Corbyn to Stalin, uh, which they thought was a step too far, even though, of course, the other side compares people like Jacob Rees-Mogg to Nazis on a routine and basis. And us, let's not forget. And, and we are literally Hitler too, Toby. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but, but actually, in, if, 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 if like me, you've been following the general election shenanigans quite closely, the start that the Tories have made to this campaign is um, pretty pitiful and quite worrying. Um, so they just seem to be committing gaffes after gaffes. So yesterday, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, in the morning, um, made some seemingly rather unfeeling comments about uh, the victims of the Grenfell 
Tower tragedy. Uh, and uh, he then quickly apologised for them. Then Andrew Bridgen, another Tory MP, appeared on Radio 4 and was asked about Jacob Rees-Mogg's comments and wasn't sufficiently apologetic. Uh, and so he then had to apologise this morning for what he'd said last night on Radio 4. And then just before Boris was due to actually officially launch the Conservative campaign, Alan Cairns, the Welsh minister, uh, had to resign uh, because of some scandal connected to a rape trial. So, you know, it's it, it, so far, yeah, this general t- election, t- t- James, t- t- has t- t- been... T- hold on, let me get to my punchline. OK. Yep. So far, this general election, as a, as a fan of a team in the championship, QPR, the championship for our American listeners is one down from the Premier League and is uh, 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 quite, quite some way down from it. Um, uh, uh, but as a fan of a championship, team I'm used to watching uh, dismal football matches on a rainy Tuesday night in which the team that triumphs is not the team that exhibits more skill but the team that makes fewer mistakes in the 90 minute period and that's what it feels like watching this general election watching Millwall versus Preston North End on a rainy Tuesday night waiting to see which side makes the fewest mistakes because you're not going to see anyone score any spectacular worldies in the course of the game Okay well here's my take on that Toby you are such a creature of the Westminster media bubble. I don't think anyone in the real world gives the slightest toss what Jacob Rees-Mogg said about Grenfell, which has become this this emblem for for socialist values, hasn't it? Basically, if you don't think the Grenfell Tower disaster was the worst thing in the history of of humanity Uh, and uh, if you can't can't virtue signal at every opportunity about it then you are clearly the most heartless evil person in the world and this is what what we've had here jacob reese mogg was just trying to say a, a fairly reasonable thing that had he been in the situation that the residents of grenfell tower found themselves in he wouldn't have stayed put if the if the firemen had told him to stay in his flat while the while the the building burned uh, and yet this was turned by by the labor or the left attack machine into a, a statement somebody somebody on twitter actually described described jacob Rees mogg who's a very mild person in in real life as pure evil now if jacob Rees mogg is pure evil for not wishing to stay, stay put in a burning building when the firemen tell him to stay put then where on that sliding scale does does Hitler fit in? Where does Stalin fit in? Or you and I, James. Or you. It's just a hyperbole and petty. Uh, I think. I think. I think you're slight. You're slightly underplaying. Uh, what happened. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that it that was a complete overreaction. I certainly agree with you on that score, and I would not describe Jacob Rees-Mogg as evil. Um, but I think it's fair to say he misspoke. What he said was that um, uh, had had it been him or the radio presenter interviewing him uh, who'd been told by the London Fire Brigade to stay put whilst the building they were in was on fire, um, common sense would have prompted him to ignore that advice and leave the building. And the implication was that the people who died in the Grenfell fire um, lacked common sense okay. and uh, were partly to blame but for then their he own swiftly, A, he swiftly apologised. And B, he did. for goodness sake, this is just one man saying one thing on one radio show. I mean, why is it dominating the headlines? It's dominating the headlines only because the terms of the debate are dictated by a, a, a pro-Remain anti-conservative mainstream media that's the that's the problem i think and the difficulty could... james is that is that if the if in the course of this campaign the conservative party manages to seem both out of touch and incompetent 
And Jeremy Corbyn, in virtue of running a successful virtue signalling campaign, manages to seem both in touch and competent, then things might really turn around and we could end up with Corbyn and Downing Street. I agree, it's early days and of course most people won't have tuned in, most people won't have noticed any of these gaffes. Um, uh, uh, but, But nevertheless, it is slightly worrying. You hope that the Conservative Party is going to get its act together. Yeah, I I must say I'm 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 so not enjoying this this election campaign. I I hate all election campaigns. I think they they make me sick. I unlike you, I loathe and despise politics. I hate the political process. I think I think being concerned with process, interested in process at all, is essentially a left wing pre- preoccupation. I I'm interested in ideas. I'm just interested in what's right and what's wrong, and that's not and that's it. I'm not interested in what lies, what propaganda will get this particular discussion. Well, interestingly, I mean, it, elected. People do kind of um, obsess about process during general election campaigns. Um, well, some but, people, but, but, people but, like you, Tobes. Maybe people like me. But actually, there are, in the course of the campaigns, often uh, big ideas as well, which have an impact Rubbish. on the outcome of the campaign. We'll take, take the 2017 general election campaign. Um, uh, one of the reasons the Tories fared less well than expected is because their manifesto was generally felt to be quite ill-judged and contained various policies like the dementia tax. It's actually named by a spectator journalist, the dementia tax, which, which yes. effectively meant um, uh, richer people paying for uh, the, the care of their sure. elderly parents. That's not a big idea, though, um, is it? That's uh, well, just a mistake. But it, you know, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a big policy that was announced in the Conservative manifesto and it had an impact on the election because a lot of people didn't like it. So that wasn't really a process story that was something substantial that the electorate were reacting to so I, it, it, it's all it's all mixed up together but I, I wouldn't say that there won't be any big ideas based policy stories in the course of yes, this campaign yes there will there, I, mean, I mean no there won't there's there's there, well Bre- this, brexit the, is hopefully going to be the number Boris's one issue and that, that's, that's not about um, process is it you and i you and i have been in, in a rare a rare act of conciliation you and i have been both cheerleading Boris all the way. But now I'm going to have to start to diverge from your, your position, uh, which is that I'm, I, I can see that Boris is going to deliver an endless series of disappointments to me, that he's, he's going to cop out at every stage of doing the Conservative thing, of doing the Thatcherite thing at any rate. And he's well, just I don't think, be... I don't think, well, I don't think he's disappointed yet. I think he's confounded expectations and surprised everyone by, well, by getting a deal with the European Union. Which no, I no we love all that. We love, we love Boris's positivity, yada, yada, yada. That, but that's, that's, all, that's all gone now. He's, he's you know... Well, I'm, if he I'm, fails I'm, to win, if he, fail, if he fails to win a majority in these circumstances, I'll certainly be disappointed. I still think the fundamentals are in his favour and I still think that he'll win a majority between 40 and 70 seats but let's yeah, hope I, but, I think but they, they won't if they carry on as they've begun I agree Boris is going to win a majority um, and then he's going to then he's going to disappoint us and, that, and that's how it's going to go but on a lighter note James uh, I don't know yes. if you uh, saw the launch of the Green Party's general election campaign today uh, but um, uh, uh, the Green, Green the Green, they haven't actually unveiled their manifesto yet that's going to come a little bit later um, but they did unveil their um, headline policy uh, which is they want to borrow uh, they want the, well they want to raise an additional eight billion a year by increasing corporation tax. Uh, and then they're going to borrow on top of that 92 billion uh, because it's going to cost us apparently 100 billion pounds a year in order to uh, decarbonize and they're going to continue to do this for the next 10 years so effectively they want to borrow a trillion pounds in order to make sure britain becomes um, uh, carbon neutral by 2030 that's their plan they're bringing forward the government's already 
incredibly ambitious deadline of becoming carbon neutral by 2050 by 20 years and to achieve that target they're proposing that we spend a we borrow rather a trillion pounds yeah, and I heard, me, I heard i heard the, it's investment. I heard the well, that, that was how, that's, that's how it's been always presented. a good thing. An investment in wind power, James. Much of it. Um, yeah. uh, it just it was just extraordinary that this 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 the co-leader. I didn't know they had two leaders, but apparently they do. Yes, the they co-leader do. of the Green Party, Sean Berry, was interviewed on uh, the PM program on Radio Four uh, this afternoon, and um, and she said borrowing an additional trillion pounds uh, almost doubling britain's national debt no proposed no, no idea about how she's ever going to how we're ever going to repay it that was just plain simple common sense she said because if because if if, if we didn't uh, we would tip over into uh, beyond the point of no return the climate would spiral out of control we're all going to die that was the sort of gist of it it was the kind of extension rebellion cat- catastrophizing manifesto pledge got to got to borrow uh, all Almost a hundred billion per year. Uh, uh, otherwise, we're all going to die. Uh, it was extraordinary. Um, and there were also it, it, Evan Davis on the PM program sort of said, "But uh, what about? Uh, are you not going to? Are you not going to increase spending on the NHS, on schools? Are you not going to increase the number of policemen on the streets?" Oh yes, we're going to spend lots more money. You're not just merely going to borrow a hundred billion. We're going to borrow much more than that. We're going to tell you about that in our manifesto. It was just extraordinary. I mean. It wasn't a magic money tree. It was a, like a magic money wind farm. I mean, it was just, where's it all coming from? It was just baffling. Yeah. Plain common sense, apparently. It would be nice, I must say, if at least one of the parties could go into this election on an anti-green ticket, but none of them have. I mean, even... Or proposing to cut public expenditure instead well, of massively public, increasing... Indeed. Even, even the Brexit party has, has been very, very cautious about, about talking about um, the environment and, and, and energy. Which oh, is, are they, are they, is, is is Farage embraced the Green New Deal? I can't believe it. It's not. It's not quite that. But he's just. <laughs> they, they've all. They're all a bit sort of awkward about it because they don't want to. They don't want to be outflanked. They don't want somebody to say, "Well, of course, they're a bunch of climate deny, denying loons," and they're not quite confident enough to declare themselves. Hang on a second. We're just the party of science. We believe in evidence and stuff, but because they. <laughs> They want to concentrate their energies on on being the party of Brexit, I guess. Well, I'm sincerely we, we, we let's not get too bogged down in this, but I'm sincerely no, hoping boring. that uh, uh, Nigel Farage doesn't field candidates in almost every constituency in England, Scotland, and well, Wales, we did... which he, which he, which he, he, he he's threatened to do. Um, if he does, I think that'll be that'll be the end of Brexit. We you and I did have a Farage in, because I mean, the listener the listener should know um, that this is actually a. A, 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 redo, a redo of of the original podcast where the sound was so appalling that we had to we, and we that's why we were a day late again. yeah and actually but James whose fault who's, just, whose fault was that I, was, uh, I think it was mine I think um, it was entirely yours <laughs> it was entirely my fault but but actually I'm not sure there were some good bits there were some really good bits but there was a long long row between you and me yes about whether or not Nigel Farage was right to threaten to field a candidate in every every constituency and you were saying that this was appalling because here was mr brexit conspiring to destroy brexit because after all boris was offering a perfectly snatching good, defeat good from the jaws of victory yeah. yeah yeah and i was saying well hang on a second actually if he if the brexit party is still commanding te- roughly 10 percent of the vote then it seems to me entirely reasonable that a man who's been been fighting for brexit for 20 years should make use of his political capital while he still can and i think if he can if he can push 
Boris in a in a slightly more Brexity direction, you know, with 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 a few adjustments to the Conservative manifesto, then that would be a good thing. And I think we ended up agreeing on that. That we we ended up agreeing that that if if as a result of threatening to field candidates um, in. 500 plus constituencies in the forthcoming election. And we'll know, by the way, by November 14th, whether he's going to make good on this threat. Uh, If by threatening to do that, he prompts the Conservative Party to, in their manifesto, say that if we don't get a free trade agreement with the European Union by December 31st of next year, then we'll exit with no deal, then all well and good. Uh, But my worry is that that won't be in the manifesto. um, uh, and No promises along those lines will have been made. uh, And Farage will then field candidates in 500 plus constituencies. And as a consequence, he'll divide the Brexiteer vote and come up in the middle and we'll end up with Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street. That will be as much the Conservatives' fault as uh, as the Brexit Party's fault, I, I would say, because they should insert that clause. And I, and I worry slightly that they are too much directing their attentions to the kind of people who despise them and really aren't proper conservatives and probably, you know, really should be voting green or elsewhere. And they should be looking after their base rather, you know, rather than just rather than performing the same squishy centrist trick we've seen the conservatives perform since Margaret Thatcher, which has been well, a tremendous disappointment to me. Well, it did enable David Cameron to win a majority for the first time oh, in God, 2015, go, the first time in 23 years. But anyway, let's not get Cameroon was let's, great let's, thing again. I think Cameroon was crap. Come on, we can't have this one, Toby. Well, no, but That'd I think I think I don't, I don't think you can just play to your base if you want to win I had a, a majority in a general Cameron. election. I dreamt I dreamt that that Cameron winked at me from the from the front benches <laughs> and he was wearing um fox hunting gear. I don't know what the, that meant. The acceptance you've always craved. He was inviting you hunting, James. This would be your your ultimate social triumph, vindication after all these years. Not shunned, but invited Do into you know, the magic enough, social circle. enough, my terrible hunting accident, my, uh, where I got my injuries, where my wife and yes. family banned me from hunting, was I was out with the very hunt that Cameron used to hunt with before he wussed out and said, I can't do it anymore because it's bad for my image. Uh, isn't he gone back to that kind of thing, though, since he's, um, I d- I since he's uh, left Downing Street? Anyway, James, on one political story I think we can agree on. Um, uh, we've heard a lot of noise in the media in the past week um, about uh, the number of female MPs stepping down, deciding they no longer want to be members of parliament and they're now resigning as MPs and won't be standing again. Uh, 19 women are stepping down in this parliament and this has led to lots of soul searching and navel gazing in the media about why it is that women in public life are abused on twitter and harassed and bullied and so forth and isn't it awful and we have to do something about that if we want to encourage more women to get involved in politics well i did a bit of analysis of this uh data uh yes 19 women are stepping down but 59 mps in total are standing down, 19 of whom are women, and 19 is 32% of 59. What percentage of MPs are women? You guessed it, 32%. So women are standing down in exactly the same proportion as men. They're no more or less likely to stand down from Parliament than men. I mean, people still say, OK, maybe that's true, but nonetheless, women do have to endure the most appalling amount of uh, abuse and bullying on social media. Well, actually, I found this um bit of research that this left of centre think tank called Demos had done about the amount of abuse on Twitter uh, 
men and women get in public life, including MPs, and it found that actually men, uh, including male MPs, are abused two and a half times as much as women are, including women MPs. So uh, it's a complete non-story, but that, that, not that that has stopped the media from talking about it. No. Uh, well, you know my view on, on women MPs, Toby. I think, obviously, Margaret Thatcher was the exception, uh, and also there are some splendid women MPs in the, in the current Conservative Party. I'm thinking of people like Pr- Pretty Patel and Liz Truss and... Um, Suella Braverman. Uh, Suella Braverman. Um, yeah, so there's, there's quite a few good ones. But I think way too many uh, women in UK politics, and I, I think in US politics as well. I mean, you've just got to look at, at people like... AOC, for goodness sake, and Ilham Omer, or however you pronounce her name, and just, well, I mean, they're all at it, aren't they? They they bang on way too much about the fact that they're women. I mean, like we care. They should just be representing everyone. They, 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 they weren't elected to be to, to, to take care of just one half of, of, of humanity. They were there elected to represent both men and women. Same, same applies to male MPs. Well, well I, think, I think I'd be even more irritated by uh, the claims of frontline women, women in, in frontline US politics, the claims that they're, they are representing women in some way, that they're there to, to, to articulate the point of view of women. If I was a woman, I'd really resent that. Uh, you know, w- just because someone else shares my gender, why do they yeah. represent me? It's ludicrous. And actually, actually as, I'm sure you, as, I, as I'm sure you know, James, um, uh, a majority of uh, white women, anyway, uh, voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah. No, I would, sometimes, sometimes when I want to go to my wife, I, 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 I and there's a stupid female politician on TV coming up with the usual woman politician crap. I say, see that? That's your luck. That is, and she doesn't like it because, as you rightly say, why should why should it, just because a woman saying idiot things? Why is she representing womankind? Uh, anyway, anyway, oh, Toby, yeah, uh, haven't we got? We love our sponsor this week. I mean, one of my obsessions is teeth, so I think you should, you should tell us about this week's sponsor. I'm going to tell you about um, our sponsor this week, James. Um, uh, uh, our sponsor this week um, is uh, uh, Quip. Uh, and I'll tell you what Quip is, James. What actually do you think makes for a better toothbrush? Is it industrial strength power? Claims of miraculous trendy ingredients, multiple modes. If you ask your dentist, they'll tell you it's less about the brush and more about how you use it. And that's why Quip was created by dentists and product designers to focus on what actually matters for your oral health healthier habits. So Quip sensitive vibrations with a built-in timer guide gentle brushing for the dentist recommended two minutes with 30 second pulses uh, ensuring an even clean. Quip automatically delivers brush heads to you every three months for clean new bristles right on schedule so you don't have to carry on cleaning your teeth with the same brush head for month after month because you keep forgetting to buy new brush heads. The sleek intuitive design is simple to use and comes with a travel cap that doubles as a mirror mount. We know how much you like staring at yourself in the mirror, James, though admittedly perhaps not whilst cleaning your teeth. I've seen your teeth. They are what I think Americans call English teeth. These thoughtful features make brushing something you actually want to do twice every day. Good habits matter to live a healthier life, so help form fresh oral health habits with Quip. Quip starts at just $25, and you'll get your first refill free at getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P, getquip.com forward slash 
London. This is a simple way to support our show and start brushing better, but you have to go to get quip.com slash London and you'll get your first refill for free. So go right now to get quip.com slash London. Okay, James, uh, what about uh, poor old Greta? Uh, have you seen poor old Greta yeah, is stranded I'm in Los Angeles? Stuck in stuck in L.A. So I'm let's just, just for, for, for people uh, less obsessed with Greta than us, let's just uh, fill them in. Greta was due to go to a climate change conference in Santiago, Chile, uh, but the climate change conference has been cancelled. Why has it been cancelled, James? Uh, because basically... The, the Chilean government was, was wasting their taxpayers' money on lots of green initiatives, and, and people were sick of having their, their, their fares rising on public transport for these green... I think that's offers. right. It was a green tax on the Santiago city metro, uh, which has caused uh, rioting on the streets of Santiago, much like uh, the tax on diesel fuel uh, uh, kick-started the Gilets jaunes movement in France. Um, uh, these green taxes, turns out, are not particularly popular with the working man anyway uh, so the, cap, the, the the climate change conference in Santiago has now been cancelled um, uh, and it's now been it's now going to be held in Spain Greta I think was planning to pootle down to uh, uh, Santiago in an electric car possibly even the electric car loaned to her by Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, uh, what happened to Arnie who knows but anyway he lent Greta an electric car for her tour of uh, California uh, but and she was I think planning to take this car or a car much like it down to Santiago. Turns out it's not in Santiago anymore. She's got to get to Spain. How's she going to get there without flying, James? I don't think she's ever flown before in her life. She doesn't want to break her flying cherry nails. So what's she so, going to do? So it could be, Tobes, that she's stuck in America forever. Isn't that, isn't that sad? Really sad. <laughs> well, uh, we'll uh, never see. We'll never see. Greta I'm not sure. I'm not again. sure if she. I'm not sure if she's stranded in Hollywood. That uh, you know, the capital of the entertainment industry. We'll never see her again. I think, believe she was on the Ellen show uh, just the other day, where, funnily enough, Ellen didn't challenge her about some of her more outlandish claims about climate change. No, I think she fell to her knees and started kissing her feet. As far as I know. I anyway, know, I, I think global global cooling actually may help that. I think if she could go to Alaska, and then make her way across the the polar ice cap. She could end up to Svalbard, where the ah yes, talking of Svalbard. Sorry, this is a this is a, a neat segue. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you, Toby. Yeah. About the appalling, appalling TV adaptation of His Dark Materials, the Philip Pullman thing. Yeah, I Which haven't, remember, I haven't it, seen that. It was turned into quite a good movie that, that absolutely bombed at the box office. Yes, and, and I think I don't think Golden the play the, it, it, there was a. It was turned into um, a trilogy of plays at the National Theatre. I don't think they did terribly well. No, either, I saw I, I, I saw them. I thought they were really good. Okay. Yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. I thought that. So and are you a fan? Are you a fan of the book then? In spite of uh, the impeccable progressive credentials of the author Philip Pullman. It is certainly an extended rant against Christianity disguised as children's entertainment. And I think some of the, the plotting and some of the themes are pretty obscure, let's say. But there's, there's lots to recommend the book. You've got armoured armored polar bears, for one. Um, I think they're called Panzerbühner or something like that. And, and sort of magical settings. It's quite, it, it's quite a beguiling adventure if you ignore the, the heavy-handed politics which intrude 
now and again. Mm-hmm. But I think this new adaptation, this BBC ad- adaptation, is is a a stinker, and it's it's. I, I mean, it, it's got a terrible, cheesy, schmaltzy score. I think the acting is like a, an Islington school play with a with a much much bigger budget. Um, it's got the usual tick box diversity casting, which I think I I worry about tick box diversity casting. I don't know how much of an issue it is in 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 the, the states, but the BBC now has this this policy, this diversity policy, where. Every production it has has to be has to have a, a sort of a quota of disabled, gay, um, ethnic minorities people, and I think one of the problems with that is that that it talks about being more diverse, but one of the, what you end up with is is actually less diversity. And I'll give you an example of this. There's, there are these characters in the the Philip Pullman series called the Egyptians, and the Egyptians are basically Romany gypsies. Now, Romani, Romanis are a, 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 a racial minority, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're, they're distinct from other, other racial minorities. And yet, in this adaptation, you've got these black gypsies cropping up. And I'm thinking, well, actually, how, how would that actually work? You know, the, being a Romani is not a thing that, that you elect to be by, you know, it's not some club you join. It's something that you, you're there by birth. And there aren't, there aren't that many black gypsies i don't think and i just thought it made a mockery of the whole kind of theme of, of one, one of the one of the strands of this of, of this book series it, it, james it, on, the, on the subject of um, diversity i heard something rather hopeful the other day uh, which is um a friend of mine um who uh is knocking on a bit getting on uh, in her career um uh, uh, an extremely posh um, she 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 applied uh, to join this. Uh, she applied to join the Metropolitan Police under this special fast track scheme that has been introduced uh, yeah. to increase diversity within yeah. the Metropolitan Police. And um, apparently, uh, she didn't just benefit from being a woman. She benefited from being posh because because the police, in their commitment to diversity, are including uh, posh white english people as one of the minorities that there should be that should be this properly like represented in the police force so i mean the problem problem is james we're probably not quite posh enough do they go to through qualify for that positive discrimination <laughs> did, did, did they check her ancestry i don't know if they may, they may have looked in debret to see if she was mentioned before um yeah. see whether she ticked the box the diversity box yeah oh but can i just finish my, my my joke that i made about the um about the his dark materials okay which was that okay i was worried that that what they got how they're going to deal with the oppressive whiteness of the of the polar bears of the armored polar bears and maybe they're going to shove in a few grizzlies just just to, to remove that oppressive whiteness Oh, it, 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 I said you're very good. Yeah, was that the joke? I thought you were going to tell us that, that they was actually my had no, done I, that. Okay. Did, I not, did I not tell it very well? Oh, well. <laughs> um, probably better in print. But uh, <laughs> you and I have both seen, of course, we've both seen Jack Ryan, haven't we? And we you, have seen you Jack found Ryan. the PC there a bit, a bit intrusive. Yeah, I, I, I sat down to watch it with my 14-year-old son, um, the new season, when it was um, dumped on Netflix on, I think, the 31st of October. And we both quite enjoyed season one. Um, you know, it was... Because uh, the baddies was, were, was, were, were Muslim terrorists, uh, who are baddies in real life too. Well, 
funny you should say that because I think season one attracted quite a lot of woke criticism uh, yeah. precisely because the baddies were Muslims um, uh, and the hero was a kind of white saviour uh, and, a, and a kind of all-American guy, uh, John Krasinski. Um, and so I think this series, they bent over backwards to win over the woke critics and in almost the opening scene, certainly the first time we set eyes on Jack Ryan, um, uh, he's lecturing a class of students about Venezuela and what's gone wrong in Venezuela and he describes all the things that have gone wrong uh, poverty's increased infant mortality has increased um, uh, in spite of being one of the richest countries in the world in terms of natural resources oil gold uh, the economy is on the verge of collapse and I'm thinking oh, this is quite actually it's quite useful you know my, my son is about to learn about the absolute horrors of socialism and how all these socialist utopias begin with highfalutin talk about the universal brotherhood of man and end with people being told to eat their own pets. I thought, yeah, this this will be actually quite educational. And then at the climax of this scene, uh, Jack Ryan says, and the reason it's all gone so horribly wrong in Venezuela is because Venezuela is being led by a kind of uh, far right populist demagogue uh, and it clearly meant to be a stand-in for Trump in this context but luckily hope is at hand because um, uh, uh, he's being challenged in the forthcoming election by this uh, uh, academic turned activist who believes in social justice uh, and then this kind of Elizabeth Warren figure flashes up on the screen and you're thinking Jesus Christ I mean how could they how could are they are they actually trying to troll conservatives by pretending that everything's gone wrong in Venezuela as a result of a Trump-like Bolsonaro president and that, and that actually the way to save Venezuela is to elect a socialist president in his stead. I mean, it was just turning history on its head. It was horrifying and I had to immediately pause it and explain to my son exactly how wrong-headed and uninformative this was. This was fake news of the very worst you know kind. What? The weird thing is, Toby, although this is that, that is the kind of thing that ought to drive me apoplectic and, and just say enough is enough. I will not watch this appalling leftist filth. I find I find it, it just on the right side of acceptable. And I, what I like about that series is there is always a lot of killing in every episode. I mean, uh, you know, you can't complain about the body count. And there's also... There's also quite a lot of, of old-school sex. I mean, the way... I uh, don't want to spoil anyone's, anyone's plot here, but, but the way that Jack Ryan leaps into bed with that, that, that woman, you know, ha having, yes. having caught her eye across the cocktail bar, yes. I thought was like back to the, the days of uh, when, when James Bond wasn't an angst-ridden cuck and worried about his... his uh, but I, th I, th but I thought that, that, that we, without wanting to give away any spoilers i thought the manner the really manner in which she took advantage of him i thought was supposed to indicate that uh, he was in fact a toxic male with a kind of gargantuan sense of entitlement and had imagined that the only possible motive this beautiful mysterious brilliant woman would have for jumping into his bed was because he was just sexually irresistible and it was kind of uh, it was it was really an attack on that kind of masculine sense of entitlement because actually she had a, another motive as we soon discovered I don't know. Uh, it felt to me like that was part of the kind of uh, overall kind of wokiness of season two of Jack Ryan, which its full title is Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. It should be called Noam Chomsky's Jack Ryan, I think. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- there was there was a, a horrible scene where where the opposition to, to to this Venezuelan regime are these principled young leftists. Well, yeah. How does that make sense? I mean, given that it's Venezuela is about as, as far left as it's possible to go. Well, because this wasn't so, the real Venezuela. This was a make believe Venezuela in yeah. which uh, the right have come to power and and, I, it, and, and, just, and driven it, it, the country into destitution. Yeah, it was. I hope, saved I hope other that. people apart from us notice because yeah, it was. It was uh, no wonder you know a majority of millennials uh, prefer socialism to capitalism. They've been watching mind, mind season you, two thanks. of Jack Ryan. I suppose this is why people turn to this to this podcast because we are an an island of truth and beauty and a sea of a tiny a tiny work. oasis of common sense, James. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've been talking in the past about uh, you mentioned uh, his dark materials, um, but but often um, uh, if you if you go to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and we, we've said this in the past, I think um, one way to judge the quality of of a particular program or a film is to see the gap between the audience score and the critic score. If the if the gap is huge and the audience score rave is, is very high and the critic score very low that's usually a sign that it's really good if the gap is in the other direction high critic score low audience score that's usually a sign that it's really bad and i've suggested in the past that one of our geeky listeners with some coding skills should create a kind of uh, rotten tomatoes redux which aggregates uh, precisely this discrepancy between the critics and the audience score to identify things that are either you should really avoid like the plague or are actually worth watching but funnily enough um, uh, when I when I mentioned this on Twitter, someone pointed out that, that the Guardian, the Guardian's data blog, uh, had actually done this in 2013. They'd actually uh, tried to rank movies on Rotten Tomatoes according to the gap between the audience score and the critic score, and they created um, a top 20 of movies which had res- in which the gap was greatest between the user score and the critic score in the positive direction from the audience point of view, and number one. Um, on this top in this list of top 20 was a film called Rad uh, which got precisely zero uh, from the critics and 91 from the audience and it's a film about um, a BMX bike race and frankly it sounds like absolute dreck now that may be unfair I haven't actually seen it uh, but just judging from the little one paragraph blurb um it looks like something you know you'd rather stick pins in your eyes than sit through so maybe my idea of this no, critical aggregator is is just completely give, wrong-headed t- t- toby don't give up on the dream and i'll tell you why you mustn't give up on the dream because i think that that article was written a while ago in the days before the, well it was in what, 2013 changed in the world yeah, so you're right. So it's, it's since 2013, um, woke criticism has become a thing, and critics have become much more progressive and they obsessed have. with I social justice. Right, Tobes. I, I recently read, I, I've been putting off this for a long time, I recently read Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Have you ever read it? I have not. It's one of the best the best novels I've ever read. I mean, it's absolutely work. I think I think Cormac McCarthy is the greatest writer, the greatest living writer, the greatest living novelist. I mean, his his prose is hallucinogenic. It's just like an extended acid acid trip. It's just amazing. Didn't he write Brokeback Mountain? No, don't think so. Uh, he wrote All the Pretty Horses. I don't think he'd write a book about like. I'm not. That, that's not a reason. Not not a reason to. No, he wouldn't. Uh, discredit there's not, there's him, not I'm enough, sure, but... Is there any killing in Brokeback Mountain? Uh, 
loads and loads of people die in Cormac McCarthy and, and you get cannibalism you get just all manner of horrors but but anyway the road is like this this post-apocalyptic um horror horror story and you and I, well, we all are, are now living in the world of the road. You know, that civilization has gone, and, and all that's left is to just sort of uh, scour the the the, the dust covered landscape in search of bits of food, whatever's left. But there was a time before when when civilization existed, and um, in in that world, critics did their job, and critics just reviewed films on the basis of is this any good or isn't it. Whereas now, in this this post-road world it, their line is is this film woke or is it not that that's that is their single uh criterion i i think I, I i i i did i think i've seen the film of the road isn't it about um a father and son surviving right, yeah. in a kind of apocalyptic environment yeah, yeah, yeah. um and 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 don't, don't, it, it, what you probably liked about it was this incredibly strong bond between the father and the son and the son's admiration of his father, who effectively kind of saves him from these marauding mobs of kind of deranged... Don't starving. spoil it. Don't spoil uh, it. it. The okay. <laughs> but, uh, but is that why you like it? Because it's a kind of idealised version of a father-son relationship. And probably like me, you wish your own relationship with your son well, was, I think that, was I like think that. That's, that's very nice, definitely. I, th- I think it is an important relationship, the father-son relationship, and one shouldn't be embarrassed about celebrating that thing on film. But also, it's actually, Tobes, I, I'm just totally drawn to any scenario where the this is why you and i like the walking dead or did for a while it any any post-apocalyptic scenario where you're just trying to trying to work out where you get your next food from where you get your next ammo from how you kill the, the zombies or the cannibals or whatever it is that's stalking this particular or the triffids i mean the day of the triffids is a classic example of this and it's just really exciting i mean it's much more interesting than real life isn't it yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm a fan of that genre, certainly. Um, uh, what I'm not, I'm not, are you a fan of Christmas movies? I heard about a Christmas movie today on, on the radio which sounded so awful. I thought it must be a parody. I, I, I just couldn't believe that it really exists, but apparently it does. So Emma Thompson has, I think, uh, uh, written and directed a Christmas movie called Last Christmas, inspired by the music of George the, Michael. Yes, the Wham, the Wham song. Yeah, it's... I gave you my heart. Exactly. But the um, very next day... Very good, James. Da, 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 yeah. <laughs> who, who needs the real thing when they can hear know, you exactly. sing in it? Um, but, uh, but can you imagine anything... It, so, it sounds like it's going gonna, it's gonna to make uh, love actually look like a kind of searing work of social realism. I mean, it's... Just, God, I just can't imagine the kind of level of ghastliness obtained by I would go Last see, Christmas, written and directed I would go by Emma Thompson. Based on the fairy tale of New- fairy tale of New York, the Pogue song. I would with, go and um, see that too. That is great. That's the only decent Christmas song. I mean, some of the old ones, you know, by Sinatra and Bing Crosby and whatnot, they're fine. But in the last twenty-five years, shall we say, the only decent Christmas song is um, is that one. That's the only one. Yeah. I love the fact that they that they they, they, they pay tribute to uh, the NYPD. So unfashionable, so politically incorrect. They're unhesitating. And apparently, the, uh, as you uh, won't surprise you to learn, the NYPD just love that song. That is, that, that, they don't sing Danny Boy, you know, when they're drunk in a bar at the end of a difficult shift anymore. They sing that song. 
course they do. Of course they do. Well, I'm sure that we can come back to Christmas songs as Christmas approaches. I'm sure there's much more to be said. In the meantime, shall we wrap this episode up? Let's wrap it up. But just before we go, in addition to asking our loyal listeners to subscribe to our podcast, uh, can I ask uh, any sympathetic listeners out there to get to How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, uh, a movie that I co-produced <laughs> based on a book I wrote of the same name, which I cannot recommend highly enough, hasn't, I don't think, been given its due either by the critics or by audiences uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. So can I ask people who might have seen it or people who just feel well disposed towards me to go onto Rotten Tomatoes and give How to Lose Friends and Alienate People a score of 100. 100. Oh, yeah. Well, if they do that, Toby, can they also... um subscribe to my Delling pod which is of course the world's best podcast apart from possibly this one um, and you'll find it everywhere Delling pod it's really really good right now we've plugged our products we can um, go home yep till next week okay let's hope the sound to... works this time James sorry yeah 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 alright yeah yeah you listen to the Delling pod with me James Delling pod and my very good friend Mr Toby Young thank you and goodbye thank you once I get you up there where the air is rarefied We'll just glide starry-eyed Once I get you up there I'll be holding you so near You may hear angels cheer Cause we're together Weather-wise, it's such a lovely day You just say the words And we'll beat the birds Down to Acapulco Bay It's perfect for a flying honeymoon They say, come fly with me Let's fly, let's fly Pack up, let's fly away Ricochet. Join the conversation.